Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. My name is Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're wondering about my sweater, Lance told me I needed to liven up my talks a little bit. I thought this might do the trick. I know all the 49ers fans, they love this sweater. All the Raider fans are telling me, man, that is one ugly sweater. I, I don't know. Can't make everybody happy, right? But, uh, you know, as excited as I am about the Super Bowl next week, uh, I'm even more excited to have a chance to share God's Word with you. And I hope you look in your uh, program and pull out your outline, follow along and take some notes. The verses we're looking at today will be printed there for you. And so we're in this series called Better. And really, it's a life-changing series. If you'll take what we've been talking about to heart and apply it, it will begin to change your life. And I, I promise you, you will begin to get better. And the truth is, God created us in His image and, and that's been damaged and destroyed by sin in our life. And all of us know we're made for something better. We're, we all know we should be better. We all long to be better. But we, we get this ideal in our mind of perfection, and we shoot for perfection, and we get frustrated and discouraged, and we give up because really for us, perfection is just an illusion. And so we have to, we, have to, we said, step back and say, what can I do to get better? No, don't you, let's, let's make progress, progress over perfection. And our key passage for this series has been 1 Timothy 4, 8. This idea that physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And we've been encouraging you to take some steps and to examine your life with God's help and say, what's the one area in my life I need to address? If I address this one area, everything would be better. And for many of us, that starts with growing in our spiritual habits, growing in our faith. And so we begin to train. And uh, last week, Pastor Paul said, talked about uh, having better priorities, making better uh, priorities. And what's the most important thing? And knowing what's the right thing to do at the right time. And all that's really great because we need, a, we need a better vision. We need to see ourselves for who we are. And we need to see that we can be better. We need to understand that we can, we can grow and improve if we have better priorities. But the truth is, no matter how much you believe all this in your head... And no matter how much you want it in your heart, if you don't make better choices, it's basically worthless for you. You've got to make better choices. It's not enough to know it and want it. You've got to begin to do it. So write this down. Better vision and priorities will not make you better without better choices. You've got to choose to act on what God leads you and puts in your heart. You know, when you get serious about physical training, you have to make some decisions. You have to give up some things, right? like donuts, <laughs> like sleeping in. You've got to give up some things. You can't just live by your feelings. You don't just work out when you feel like it. You've got to start disciplining yourself. You've got to give up some things. You've got to show up and work. You know, I don't go to my gym as often as I like, but I try to get there two or three times a week. And when I go in the gym, it always amazes me how crowded it is in January and February. And a lot of people paid for the memberships, right? But then they, they slowly trickle, trickle out because they haven't seen the results they wanted fast enough. They get discouraged and they quit. And the truth is they need to stick with it. They need to give up some things. And so we set, out, we set our goals and we set out to get better. And maybe we even started good. But if we don't make the right choices, sooner or later we get discouraged and quit. And if we want things to be different in our lives, we can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expect things to be different. That's one of the definitions of insanity, right? We have to make some changes. So if you want to get better, you've got to do an honest evaluation. What do, I, what do I need to address in my life? What are my priorities? What am I going to live by? And then I've got to choose to do it. I've got to act on it. And so coming to this point of what, is, what better choices do you need to make today 
Man, it's going to require some self-reflection. It may require you asking some people in your life. It may require some awkward conversations. But what I want you to, to grasp onto today as we're wrestling with this together is what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that is holding you back? What are you holding on to in life? What are you refusing to let go of that's holding you back, keeping you from getting better? What are you holding on to that has a hold on you? What are you holding on to that the people in your life, the people around you, they wish you would let it go? They can see that it's hurting you and it's hurting them. What's weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? What's slowing you down? You know, maybe there's something in your life you... You don't want anybody to ever find out. It would kill you. It would devastate you if your wife or your husband found out or if your kids knew something that's going on in your life and you're holding on to it. But if anybody knew, you'd be humiliated and embarrassed. And so you keep it hidden. Maybe there's something in your life you need to let go of and someone's tried to talk to you about it, but you got upset and defensive when they came and talked to you instead of taking that good advice or that good information. What are you holding on to that's making a monkey out of you? See, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination for just a few minutes because, you know, there, there's, a, there's a way. I tried to find out where this started, but in parts of India and Africa, there's a, a way they have of, of trapping a monkey. And so I want you to use your imagination. Imagine that this is a coconut, okay? It's a coconut. This is a banana. Break your teeth on that one, but that's a banana. And imagine I'm a monkey, all right? Maybe that last one's not so hard for you, but just imagine I'm a monkey, Okay. And so the hunters, they would set a trap. They would get a coconut. They would hollow it out. they make an opening just uh, large, large enough for a monkey to get his hand into, and they'll put a banana or something in there. And the monkey will put, put his hand into the coconut, and he'll try to pull out that banana or whatever's in there, and it won't come out because now his hand's too big. Does, you with me? Can't get it out. And so some monkeys, not all monkeys, some monkeys won't let go. And this, this coconut is tied to a tree, by the way. I forgot that part. you got to really imagine the rope. So it's tied to a tree. And so they won't let go. And they're trapped. And then when the hunter comes back, he just whack, whacks him on the head. Kind of sad for the monkey, right? And it's really, you think, man, all he's got to do is let go and he can get away. But he refuses to let go. He traps himself. And this thing that he's holding on to, it, it leads to his death. And so whether you're a follower of Christ or not, you're here today listening, you know, this kind of makes sense. We all know that there's things that we hold on to that we allow to hold us back, that hurt us, that are destructive, that hurt the people we love the most, and yet we refuse to let go. Now, if you're not following Jesus, we're glad you're here. I hope you'll keep coming back, but I hope you'll consider whether maybe there's something you need to let go to open up your life to Jesus, because I know from just years of experience and working with so many people, if you invite Jesus into your life, your life will be better, and you will be better at life. Now, I'm not saying your life will be easier. You're going to have some challenges and tests, but your life will be better. So I hope you'll be considering that. But when you choose to hold on to something that is holding you back, it becomes your master. It becomes your master. And the problem for us, uh, for those of us who are following Christ, uh, we already have a master. Jesus is our master, our Lord, and we, we, we can't have something else take his place in our life. And we don't like the word master because it brings up imagery of slavery. I can't even watch those movies about slavery. I can't even, it just bothers me so much to see how people would, things they would do to other people. You know, I can't, I can't watch that stuff. I'm a little tenderhearted in that area. I can watch them blow up uh, bad people, but I can't watch them mistreat slaves, you know. So, you know, I just, I can't watch that stuff. We don't like that imagery. You say, ah, I'm, I'm an American, I'm free, I'm, I don't have any masters. 
Well, what do you call it if there's something that has a control on you? What do you call that thing if it controls you and you can't let go of it? See, Paul wrote a bunch of letters to different churches, to different Christian groups. And Paul, you know, like most pastors, Paul would get to writing and he didn't know when to stop, right? He'd just get all excited, keep going and going. And uh, he, 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 would, he would be going, all of a sudden he realized, wow, I'm sharing all this stuff. Maybe, maybe they don't know this. They should know this. And he would stop and say, don't you know? And so there's some really important things here that I want you to capture from some of Paul's letters. In Romans, he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. And Paul's saying if you offer yourselves to someone or something, maybe it's a habit, maybe you got some uh, bitterness you're carrying around, you can't forgive somebody that's just controlling your life, maybe you've you got some uh, addictions, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a hobby, you got something, it just controls your life because it takes precedence over everything else. It becomes your highest priority and you just can't let go of it. You can't let go of it. And it's holding, it's hard to move forward because you're trapped. And Paul says, don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Now underline that phrase. Paul says, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whatever it is that you're holding on to that's holding you back. And Paul says a couple important things I want you to capture. Write down number one, sin kills. Sin's destructive. It, it hurts you. It hurts those in your life. Andy Stanley, he, he's the inspiration for a lot of this message. He gave a great talk, and he said, sin is anything that hurts you and hurts the you beside you and hurts the yous that you're raising and the you that you married, even the yous that you work with. He said, sin is anything that hurts you and hurts the yous in your life, even if you don't know their name. Sin is anything that hurts other people. And it matters to God because the Bible tells us that God loves all the yous. Imagine, imagine the people in your life that you love the most, your family, your close friends, whoever those. Imagine if someone's hurting the people that you love the most. Are you going to just tolerate that and put up with it? someone's hurting the people you love, aren't you going to take some action? Aren't you going to be a little worked up about that? Well, that's how God feels when my actions and your actions, they hurt other people. God, God has to deal with that. And you, you can say, you know, what, what is sin? Is Sin is anything that hurts me or hurts someone else. And God doesn't want us to do it. Just a, an example that, that's really obvious, really clear. I mean, if, if you go through a painful, long, expensive divorce... Somebody sinned, didn't they? I mean, somebody did something to you, or you did something to them. You had a secret, or they were unfaithful. You broke a wedding vow, or they hurt you. That's sin. Sin kills things. It destroys things. Sin kills relationships. It kills careers. It undermines parents. I, I, I just, you know, this recent scandal that we're still learning about, these, these parents who cheated and bribed and paid people to get their kids into elite colleges. I mean, how does that affect your <laughs> I don't know, how do you go forward from that, you know, when you're in jail because you lied and cheated and you had your kids lie and cheat on their college applications? You know, it undermines you, it destroys, it destroys the person you see in the mirror. It kills your confidence, and sin can destroy your health. Some of, the, some of our sinful choices hurt our health. Sin kills your peace with God because your conscience, you know, things weigh on your conscience. 
And God has invited you and me into his family. He, he's called us to make him our father, and he loves you so much, and he sent Jesus into this world to die for you and you and all the yous in your life. And so Paul says, look, you got to get this. Sin kills. These things that you hold on to, they're destructive. you got to let go of them. But, and, and so he says, but obedience makes things better. Once you experience God's love and grace and forgiveness and you begin to treat people and see people differently, your relationships with God and with others are better. Now, doing what's right, it's not always easy, but it's great to be able to lay your head down on the pillow at night and know that you did what was right, even if it cost you, you know, because there are a few things that can tear at your heart and tear at your soul more than coming to that point where you recognize, man, I was a coward. I lied, I cheated, I deceived so I could get ahead or cover, cover myself or make myself look better or get what I want. When you have that, that moment when the light goes on and you see yourself, man, it's just, it's a yucky feeling. And God wants to protect you from that. So write that's the second thing from this passage. Write this down. Obeying God frees us. It frees us. It helps us to let go, to help us be free from that trap, to see things differently. It brings life. And so Paul writes to the Roman believers, he says, thanks be to God that you let go of these things that were holding you back, that you can be better. And Paul says it's a new way to look at people. It's a new way to look at yourself, your family, your friends, all that you have, what you do with other people. And he says, this is, do this because of what God has done for you. Let go of these things that are hurting you, that are holding you back in life, in your relationships, in, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with others. Paul says, we're to love others because we've been loved. We're to treat others as we want to be treated. And obedience to God frees us. And then the third thing I'd ask you to write down is Jesus is the best master. Paul said, you're going to be slaves to something, whether you're slave to your sin, whether you're slave to whatever it is you obey, if you're slave to obedience. But I want to tell you, Jesus is the best master because he's not somebody who's trying to use you and abuse you and just get what he wants. He's working for your best. Jesus loves you. He, he went to the cross for you and me so that we could be forgiven and free. And Paul is writing to another church in Corinth. And he's writing and he's just flying along. He says, well, wait a minute. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Can you underline that phrase? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Kind of a weird phrase. Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul said, the way you live matters because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when people in the first century, they read this, like, your body's a temple, like, they'd be scratching their heads, like, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, we don't really go to a, a temple in that sense. We, but people in those days, everyone had been to a temple. If you were Jewish, you would travel back to Jerusalem and go to the temple. If you were um, worshipped one of the pagan gods, you would go to one of the cities that had the big temples, these amazing uh, architectural marvels. And you would go, and you would go into these temples. And for them, write this down, the temple was represented a sacred ground. It was a place, it was the intersection of heaven and of earth. That's where you would go to meet with God or meet with your God, little g. That's in their mind, a temple was a sacred place. Now, when I lived overseas, I, had, I went to quite a few Buddhist temples. They were usually in really beautiful places. I liked to get out and hike. They were out in the mountains, amazing construction, just curious about them. And I would go to these temples. And one thing I noticed is every time people would go into the Buddhist temple, they would take their shoes off. 
I hope they were wearing clean socks. They'd take their shoes off, and they would go in, and they would leave their shoes at the door. Why would they do that? Because that's a sacred place to them. They don't want to contaminate it. They don't want to get it dirty with whatever soils are on their shoes, and they would take their shoes off. Um, I, I have to, <laughs> one time when I was out hiking with some friends, we came to this really remote temple, and, and it was just beautiful, and, and there were a few people inside kneeling and bowing to Buddha, and I, I don't know, it wasn't the most mature thing I've ever done, but in my pocket, I had a little track that said, Steps to Peace with God. And I slipped it in one of the shoes. That just really tickled me, you know, shoe step. They come out, oh man, I don't know what they thought when they found that in their shoe, but you know, steps to peace with God, who put this here? Anyway, um, if you've ever seen people in a mosque, I've been by a mosque uh, here in Fremont and I walked by and when the door was open, they take their shoes off. Muslim, they take their shoes off. They're in there kneeling and bowing. They take their shoes off because it's a sacred place. And you think, man, that's a holy place. That's where God, God, heaven and God intersects with, with, with earth and with people. Man, how on earth could I be a temple? I mean, I know I'm not a sacred place. I, I've done things and thought things and said things. I can't be a sacred place. Most, I mean, do you, do you really think of yourself as a sacred place, as a holy place? Well, Paul says, wait, wait, if you have Jesus, his Holy Spirit, you're a temple. God's Spirit is in you. It's the intersection of heaven and earth. And so he says, don't misuse your bodies. You were bought at a price. You know, you've got to treat this body and use it in a sacred way. Don't misuse it and don't hurt other people. Paul's saying, man, God's met you where you are. He's in you. So the person beside you, if they have Christ in their life, they're a sacred place. Might be hard to think that way, right? Or the fight you had on the way to church or whatever this morning. But they're a sacred place. They're a sacred space. And if you have Jesus in you, you're sacred. And it's hard to wrap our heads around. And Paul said, hey, you need to think about how you live. You're not your own. You're not your own. These sins hurt you. They hold you back. They hurt others. And you were bought at a price. Jesus paid a great price so you could be forgiven. Again, in the world that Paul was writing to, Slavery was very real to these people. Some of them were slaves that were reading or hearing this letter. Some of them had been slaves. Some of them owned slaves. If they went down by the market, there'd be somebody down there selling slaves from all over the world. And it, it was something that was very real and, and in a lot of ways very offensive to them. And, and this is a real thing. And, and Paul says, you know, you've been bought at a price like a slave, but, but this is a master who wants to free you, who wants to work for your good, not use you for his own good and his own gain. And you say, what's that price? How, how do we even wrap our heads around what Jesus paid for us? It was, it was his blood. You know, something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Something's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. You know that you're so valuable and the people in your life are so valuable. Everybody around you, even the people you drive on the road with, even the people you work with, they're so valuable that Jesus shed his blood for them. That's the price he was willing to pay. Now, some people, I wouldn't die for that person. I wouldn't die for them. But that's the value God places on every person he's created. And I was trying to think of something outrageous that some people would pay a lot for and other people would go, you're crazy. So back in 1998, my wife Jennifer and I, we were scraping up money down payment to buy our first house in San Bruno. And we bought a little, you know, 1,100 square foot house, cute little house, for 300 and some thousand dollars. And, uh, well, today that sounds really cheap, right? You can't even buy an empty lot for that, but right, good investment, right? But uh, my parents, they're like, oh my gosh, what are you thinking? 
And, and I only have one relative who has any money, my Uncle Tucker. I only have one, all the rest of my family, you know, we don't have a lot of money. So they went to my Uncle Tucker and they said, eh, we're a little worried. Dwayne doesn't know what he's doing. You need to have a talk with him. And so when I was visiting down in San Antonio, my uncle kind of came alongside me and put his arm around me and said, hey, Dwayne, do you really know what you're doing? Buying a house for $300,000. Who would pay $300,000 for a house? That house costs about a million dollars. Now I looked on uh, Zillow. <laughs> Who would pay $300,000 for a house? <laughs> what he was saying was, are you crazy? <laughs> but here, for, for people, you know, somebody's willing to pay that, right? So it has that value. Am I making sense? You know, the value you have in your life is what Jesus was willing to pay for you. And he, he comes to live in you, his Holy Spirit, and you're sacred because he's there. And Paul says, you're not sacred because of your behavior. <laughs> None of us are sacred because of our behavior, right? You're sacred because of who's in you. So he says, you got to realize and look at things different, have a better vision, have better priorities, live for God and put him first, and then you got to make better choices. He says, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies by the way you live, by the way you talk to people, by the way you treat people, by what you do to people and with people, by how you spend your time and your resources and your energy. He said, honor people with your whole life. So let me ask you a question. Because we all got things in our life. We all got junk in the trunk. We all got things that are holding us back, right? What do you need to let go of to be better? What's holding you back? What, what do you need to let go of that's keeping you from honoring God with your body, keeping you from making better choices and, and having better priorities? And Well, it is a choice. It's a bad choice when you choose to hold on to it, right? What are you holding on to that the Bible says leads to death? We've all got something, and maybe God's really impressing something on your mind right now. And we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but look at this passage here. The writer's written this long, long um, very powerful explanation of our faith. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now he's talking about other believers of faith. And also there's other people out in the world who are looking at us. He said, let us throw off. So right, right to the side there, right, let go. You ever try to throw something and not let go? <laughs> kind of awkward. Maybe try to trick your kid or your dog, right? You, you can't throw something off without letting go. You've got to let go. He says, let us throw off what? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, that traps us, that holds us back. He said, throw off anything that holds you back. Throw it all off. And then let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He says, move forward, get better, grow, press on to what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. Why? Because that's that's what God created you for. And he said, for the joy, he gives us an example. He says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, Jesus didn't have any sin in his life, but he let go of some, some stuff for you. He let go of living in heaven, you know, where it's perfect and comfortable, and came down and lived here on this earth, you know, where he had to get stuck in traffic jams and be mistreated and abused and mocked and spit on and nailed to a cross. He let go of some things for the, for the joy of obeying God and for knowing that he would help free you and me. The writer says of Hebrews, says, throw it off. Throw off anything that holds, holds you back. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's anger. 
Maybe you just say, you know what, I, I grew up, I'm, my dad was angry, my grandfather was angry, the world's angry, I'm just an angry person, I can't help it. Well, God wants you to deal with that. He wants you to throw it off. Maybe it's lust or porn or sex outside of God's design for marriage of, of sex between a man and a woman. Maybe it's laziness or maybe you work too much. Maybe you're greedy. Maybe it's a hobby. You know, hobbies are great things, but maybe your hobby's taking over your life. You spend, you spend all your time and energy and affection on your hobby, and you neglect your family, or you neglect things God wants you to do. Maybe it's sports or golf or gaming, whatever it might be. Is there an addiction in your life? Maybe there's a habit or a hang-up that it didn't start as a habit. It started as something that seemed fun, something you could do once in a while, and it wouldn't really hurt anybody, but now it's controlling your life. You say, oh, my gosh. I, gotta, I can't get through the day without a drink or without a, a fix or without shopping or whatever it might be. And, you know, we have a great ministry designed to help you celebrate recovery. You can connect with them and talk to them. And they're going to be starting a new group here in a few weeks or months. I don't know exact details. But if you want information about Celebrate Recovery, write that on your card. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a person who's holding you back. They don't want you to go to church. They don't want you to, to get into a small group. They don't want you to use your time serving God because they want you to be out doing stuff with them. Maybe they're pulling you away from God. Maybe there's some friends who are pulling you into some activities that aren't good and healthy for you. Maybe there's a wrong you're holding on to. Maybe someone hurt you in the past. Someone did something to you, and you just can't, you can't let go of it. You're so bitter and angry and mad and it's just holding you back. You can't get bitter because you can't let go. And the Bible says, forgive as Christ forgave you. He wants us to free us. He wants us to let go of those things, but you can't let go of it. Pastor Paul sent me this quote uh, this week. He said, remember when you forgive, you heal. And when you let go, you grow. Now, that applies to forgiveness, but I think that applies to anything that's holding you back. When you let go, you grow. And I like it because it rhymes because I'm simple and I can't remember a lot of things. So when you let go, you can grow, right? You can get better. And if you don't know what's holding you back, you're here today thinking, oh, I don't know what's holding me back, Pastor. I don't know if there's... Well, ask somebody that knows you because they probably know. Be prepared for that. You might hear something you don't want to hear, but ask your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents or a friend. Ask somebody. And then think, if I don't let go of this thing, I don't want to give this up. Well, where will your life be at the end of 2020 or 2021 or 2025 if you don't let go of that thing that's holding you back? Are you going to be getting better or is it going to be dragging you down? See, God's inviting you into this new way of life and he's showing you how you can get better. But it's not enough to know what you need to do. It's not enough to want to do it. You have to actually do it. So a couple of things here real quick. Number one, don't delay. Don't delay. I remember this parent uh, really stuck in my head because I deal with this all the time. He said, delayed obedience is disobedience. You ever heard that? <laughs> don't, don't put off making a choice. Yeah, I live with that. I'm just being a struggling parent of teenagers. Uh, this delayed obedience is disobedience. And then Joshua, you know, people were getting ready to cross the, the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And Joshua kind of laid it out for him. He says, choose today who you will serve. You might circle that. Choose today. Who are you going to serve? The truth is, you're serving somebody. Whether you know it or not, you're serving somebody. Whether you consciously chose it or not, you're serving either yourself or another person or another thing or a habit or you're serving God. Joshua said, choose today. Choose today who your master will be. You don't, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
You better get that straight while you still have a chance to make that choice. Choose today. And if you make the wrong, you keep putting it off, you delay, your life is not going to be getting better in the meantime. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life and you have a lot of questions, man, check out the Alpha Group. It's a safe place to go and wrestle with these questions, with your doubts, with things you don't understand. Go and nobody's going to judge you. We've all been there. We've all had those questions. And on top of that, you'll get a good meal out of it. So go. Get to talk to some people. Michael Josephson said, and there's a lot of variation of this quote. I don't know who really said it. I couldn't figure it out. But you are what you are today because of choices you made yesterday. And the choices you make today will make you what you are tomorrow. I hope you'll take that home and think about it. You're what you are today because of choices you made yesterday, and the choices you make today will make you what you are tomorrow. So Joshua says, don't delay. Let go. If you'd let go of the thing holding you back, whatever it is that's holding you back, what if you'd let go of that a year ago, or two years ago, or five years ago? How much better would your life be today because you let go of this thing that's hurting your relationships, that's hurting the people you love, that's hurting you? Don't delay. I want to talk about the power. You know, one thing that will help you make some decisions, you know, as you're wrestling with this, the power of a pre-decision. Decide some things ahead of time. Decide some things in advance. You know, you don't have to get to a point and go, oh, Sunday morning, am I going to go to church? Or, oh, we got invited to the beach. Or am I going to go to the ball game? Or am I going to, ch- I want to challenge you. One thing that will help you get better and help you to keep making better choices is just choose right now. I'm going to worship God with my church family every weekend. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go on vacation once in a while or you're sick, sick or out of town on business. But make it your habit that if I was going to look for you on Sunday morning, I mean, nine times out of ten, where am I going to find you? Or Saturday evening or whenever you go to worship God with your church family on the weekend because they'll help you to stay on track. They'll help you to let go. They'll help you to keep the right vision, the right priorities. Make a predecision not to do life alone. So just say, you know what, I'm going to a, I'm going to a small group. I know when I get home, I'm going to be tired. I don't want to go. I, I'm hungry, and it's been a long day, and I'm the group leader, but I'm going to go anyway, okay? Make that predecision, because when you go, you're almost always glad you went, but you gotta, you got to let go of something. you got to let go of your comfort to get there. You know, here's some other things in your life. Maybe if you tend to drink too much, then decide before you go to that party or that Super Bowl party or wherever you're going that you're only going to have one drink if you can't stop. If you can't handle one drink, then don't decide, hey, I'll pre-decide. I'm not going to have a drink. If you tend to spend too much when you eat out, then just pre-decide. I'm not going to buy a drink, and I'm going to get an entree, and, and I'm only going to get either a dessert or an appetizer. I don't have to have everything, all right? Just pre-decide. I'm trying to give you some practical things. Or if you eat too much when you go out, decide before I, when my meal comes, I'm going to cut it in half and take some home. So I got room for the appetizer and the dessert, right? No, no. <laughs> you take it home. And you eat it for lunch the next day. It'll save you money, too. Set some guardrails. Pre-decide. You know, I'm not going to meet with a woman alone if nobody else is around because I don't want something to, I didn't even want to happen, something lead to something else. Just pre-decide some things. If you want to get into shape and you say, I'm going to work out, then pre-decide. I'm working out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, not when I feel like it. you got to make some hard choices if you want to let go of some things and you want to move forward you got to choose to let go of some things and hold on to Jesus. And the beautiful thing is you have God's Holy Spirit in you, and he'll help you. He'll help motivate you. He'll help energize you. And when you step out and you, you try to obey God, and maybe it's just a little baby first step, God meets you there, and he gives you power, and he gives you encouragement, and he helps you. The more you try to obey him, the more he fills you. 
And so, so just as I close, the most important thing to remember is the best choice, number two. The best choice produces life. The best choice. Now Moses, when he was preparing to pass the baton of leadership to Joshua, and they were, he, he was called all the people together, he kind of reminded them of all the things that God had taught them. And, and he said, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You know, you make, the more right choices you make, do you know your kids are going to follow you generally for better or for worse? Your children are more likely to follow God and love him. No guarantees, but more likely to follow God and love him if you follow God and love him. And he says, oh, bless your descendants. And then Moses says, you can make this choice. How do, you, how do I do this? You choose to love the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. You make that choice, it begins to change everything in your life. But you make that choice to love God, to put him first, to, to commit your life to him, to turn from your sins. So would you pray with me? Just where you're at. Maybe somebody here today, you, you've never opened up your heart to Jesus. You've been trying to figure it out, trying to decide whether to let go of control of your own life. And I just say, maybe today's the day. Choose today. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Choose today. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Free me. Help me to love and follow you. Help me to live for you. Maybe you're here today, you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you haven't been getting much better because you got some things holding you back. You're, you're still fighting with that, that old life and that old nature and there's some, something holding you back. And just talk to God about it. Say, God, I'm sorry. Please help me to let go. Give me the courage. Give me the will. Give me the desire. Put the right people around me. Jesus, thank you for letting go of all your status and privilege, leaving heaven to come down here to earth and be abused for us. Thank you for letting go so that you, we can be free, we can be forgiven, and with your power and help in our lives, we can let go of those things that hurt us. God, we all struggle. And just speak to each, each one of us right now. What's the one thing that's really holding us back, that's hurting us the most, that we need to let go of? God, we love you. We, 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 in our hearts and our minds, we long for this, but God, help us to act. Move our wills. Thank you for loving us enough to not give up on us, but keep fighting for us and striving to help us to be better. In Christ's name we pray, amen.